We welcome you all to worship this this evening. And our call to worship comes from Psalm 145, the first three verses. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. This evening we are going to read from three different passages in the scriptures. The first two in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, we'll read verses 26 through the end of the chapter. And then we'll turn to Genesis 3, and then we will read one verse from Colossians chapter 3. Tonight we hope to consider what what does it mean to be created in the image of God. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in, in, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 21. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree to be desired and to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the, and the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is that that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam... Also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And then one verse from Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, that created him. So far the reading of God's faithful and beautiful word. Dear church family, several weeks ago we began our consideration of the Heidelberg Catechism again, and we began, as we began our study of Lord's Day 1, we began that sermon by introducing and thinking about the concept of a, of a worldview. And if you will remember, one's worldview 
is really an attempt to answer four primary questions about life. Questions about origin, purpose, morality, identity. Questions of where did I come from? Why am I here? How should I then live? And where am I going? And we, we, as we consider Lord's Day 1, we saw the catechism particularly begin to answer the, the middle two questions of why am I here and how should we then live? And then last week, in Psalm, out of Psalm 14, we, we saw how steeped in sin we were, how, how by nature we, we serve ourselves. We don't live for God and for his glory. And we do this with purpose and resolve, opposed to God and, uh, and his ways. Now the question that will often be, is often raised, maybe, maybe it's a question that you're asking or have asked. Were we always this bad? How, how did, how did we become this bad? Well, it's the, this is the next question that our catechism addresses. As we turn and look at Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find on page 29 in the, the back of the Psalters, question 6, did God create man so wicked and perverse? By no means. But God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God his creator and heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Well, then the the follow-up question is, well, How did we become this bad? Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise? And hence our nature is become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. And then the the follow-up question, if we're this bad, is there any hope? Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? And I love this answer from the catechism. Indeed we are, but they don't stop there. Except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. So they leave us with a glimmer of hope. And that's what we hope to do tonight as well as we consider our creation and the fall, but also the possibility of restoration. God created man good, the catechism says. And this isn't just what the catechism says, but this is what the scriptures say. This is what God himself said as as he concluded the creation of, of the world. On, on that sixth day, we, we read, and God saw everything that he made, 
And behold, it was very good. As God reflected on the whole creation, from what he did on day one through day six, he saw that it was very good. Nothing was out of order. Nothing was out of place. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was, it was very good. Now, this is hard for us to imagine from our side of the fall. Hard to imagine that we as humans were, were very good, perfect, no sin. It's hard to imagine a life without pain, trouble, challenges. It's hard to imagine a life without death, sickness. But God created this world very good. And man was part of that creation. Humanity was created good. And so tonight we we desire to look at man in his creation, particularly what it means for a man to be created in the, the image of God. And our primary text is going to come from Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, where we read, And God God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Created in the image of God. We're not just going to be using this passage, but we're going to be working our way through various, looking at various points in the scripture as we consider what it means to be created in the image of God. What it, what the fall how far we fell, and then the possibility of restoration. So, created in God's image, a good creation, a great fall, and a gracious restoration. Now tonight, we're going to spend most of our time in our first thought. And so, bear with me, don't feel like I'm I'm running long as we... We'll get to the other two, but they will be much shorter. We know and understand from the scriptures that the Lord is great and he's glorious. And that there's nothing that he can do to add glory, or that we can do, that we can do to add glory to his being, his character, his, we cannot add to his majesty. And yet the Lord calls us to glorify him. He calls for us to praise him, to lift him up. And he delights when his glory is being made known throughout the earth, throughout the vast and glorious creation that he has made. He desires that his good creation, we as human beings, would see him, recognize him, see his tremendous worth, his majesty, and his beauty. He desires to be known and loved and lived for by humanity. 
But how do we, how does the Lord manifest his glory to us so that we may in turn praise him and glorify him? Well, we know from the scriptures, Psalm 19, for example, that the, the creation itself bears testimony to the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. We know from the, from the latter part of that psalm that it's the word of God that also bears witness to us who he is. But I want to draw your attention to one, a particular part of God's creation that he made on the sixth day, us, human beings, that was called to reflect his glory, to reflect who he was and is. In the creation of humanity, God made men, women, boys and girls in his own image. He created Adam and Eve to be ones who would represent him to others. He created them so that as others saw, as, as we saw other human beings in, in the pre-fall creation, we would see something of who God is. He created us so that we would represent him. And as God created man, he did so by setting humans apart from the rest of his creation. Setting them apart from the angels. The angels were but spirits. Spiritual beings. But also from the animals and the plants, which were only and are only physical entities. He made one in his own image, who was a spiritual and yet a physical being. As God's image-bearing representatives, we, we are called to, we were called and are called to demonstrate something of who God is to those, to those around us. But, but what does this mean to be created in the, in the image of God? Well, first, I want to note that as image-bearers, as, as one's created in God's image, this includes our entire being. The whole person. Soul and body. The whole person, including reasoning, thinking, our will, our desires, our emotions, our affections, are all were created in, in God's image. Now, it's understood as you, as we read and study church history, the history of the world, that at various points in history, there has been an emphasis on, in terms of humanity, in terms, sometimes emphasizing the, the spiritual side, the soul of man, other times the, the physical, the body over the soul. And in fact, we live in a world that, that lives for the sensual, for the, for the feelings, for the, the here and now, the physical. But the Lord created us as men and women with bodies and souls in his image. 
Now, as we consider, as we consider this, we, we need to, we want to distinguish our understanding of what it means to be created in God's image by considering two interconnected groups or categories. The first is what a reform, what the reformers have referred to as the natural image of God. And then the second is the moral image of God. Now, the, the, image, the natural image of God is a much broader concept and consists of, of some of the following aspects, not necessarily limited to these. In the first place, man as an image bearer is a spiritual being. We read of, in the Genesis 2 account of man's creation that God breathed into man, the breath of life. This breath, says Herman Bovink, is the principle of life, the living soul, the essence of life. From the very beginning of humanity, the creation of man, God breathed into man. He became a, a living spiritual being with a soul. Our souls are inseparable from who we are. This is why humanity longs for meaning, longs for purpose that can only be found outside of themselves, can only be found in someone who is as big and as glorious and as great as God is. We were created as spiritual beings for worship. We were created to glorify God. We were created to know God. But secondly, as we are created in God's image, we are created immortal beings. And children, that means we were created to live forever. Genesis 2 verse 7 says that man became a living soul. He was meant to live not to die. He was created to live forever, finding endless life in the one who had created him. For our God is not only immortal, he is, he is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. And so we as image bearers, we reflect his unending being in our being created to live forever and our desire to live forever. We even see, we, we see that death is not natural. We see that we desire to live. We don't want to let go of life. Now, being created in God's images as, a, as spiritual beings with a soul and as immortal beings with a desire to live forever adds incredible value to who we are as human beings. Your soul is never dying. You were created to live forever. And God took particular care to create human beings. The pinnacle of His creation it is only of this component of his creation 
that God, we, we read, stepped back and deliberated, took, took counsel within himself to create. We read in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. John Calvin, noting, taking note of this, says, it is noteworthy then that God begins to consult at this point not that he encounters problems, but he does so in order to better the infinite kindness he wanted to extend to us. Humans had a special place in his creation. They were called to resemble him. Calvin continues, in him, in humanity, God's glory is to be contemplated. It's the only part of his creation that the Lord, as it were, gets intimately involved in creating man. Prior to the creation of man, we read of him speaking, and things came into being. But with humanity, we read of him taking dust and forming it and molding it and shaping it into, into man and coming up close and personal as he, as he breathed into man's nostrils. God took great delight and care of the one that was created to be his representative. And he still does. Psalm 139 testifies to that reality. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in our mother's womb. So our children that we are that are born to us and given to us as gifts by the Lord have infinite value because we have a, a never a never dying soul. Friend, do you value your life? Your body and your soul. Do you value it as much as God values it? Parents, do you value the souls and the lives of your children? Does it impact the way you care for them, raise them, teach them, instruct them? So God created man as a spiritual being, created him as an immortal being, He also created him as a rational being. We have the ability to reason, to think, to make decisions, to express our desires, our emotions, to act on our wills. We are not robots or puppets. And here we begin to see, as we consider our our rationality, we begin to see the the beautiful and wonderful interplay or connectedness between the soul and our body. Being spiritual, rational beings, our souls and minds will direct what we do with and how we use our bodies. 
but our, but our bodies, our senses, our five senses, children, will, will inform our minds, our hearts about what's going on around us. We see things, we smell things, we hear things, we touch things, we taste. And these in turn fuel our, our, our emotions, our passions, our desires, they inform our minds as we then make decisions and we carry out our, our wills. And this brings us back to our, 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 rash, these, our mind and our rational hearts and knowing our, that informs, we then act on our will and what we've decided. In this sense, we, we reflect the Lord who, from eternity past, chose a people, decided to bring this vast universe into being. He purposed, he decreed, he made a decision and acted on it and continues to do so and care for his creation. And even throughout the scriptures, we read the Lord seeing, observing, watching, and then acting on it as he cares for his creation or responding to sin. We think of Genesis 11 where as the Lord was looking down after the flood, he saw the men gathering and building a tower. We read, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. Now nothing will be restrained for them which they have imagined to do. Go, let us go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another. Yes, God from all eternity knew what he was going to do, but he expresses what he's going to do to us and to us so that we understand, see him as one who cares what's going on in our lives. He looks down, he sees us, he knows us, he understands our hearts, our minds, what we are thinking, what our plans are. And prior to the fall, we did this without sin. We desire to live completely for him. We let our senses inform us and then act in a way that was pleasing, bringing glory to his name all the time. Fourthly, humans were not just created rational beings, but also intellectual beings. It's connected to the previous, yes, but as the, uh, we have the ability to know, to learn, to understand something, but also to remember and to recall for future use for, and to apply for creative use. As humans, we have the ability to grow in our knowledge and understanding, just as Jesus himself did when he was on earth. We read in Luke 2, verse 52, he increased or grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And Adam himself was created with an incredible knowledge, intellectual understanding of the world that he lived in. 
children. You'll remember how as he named the animals that were coming before him, we read that Adam gave names to the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to the beasts of the field. And then, and then we read this, And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. He named them according to their characteristics. He understood them. He, he knew what they were all about. No doubt using the God-given knowledge that, he had, that God had given to him to name them most appropriately. But included in this idea of being intellectual beings, we have the idea that we have the ability to use this knowledge for good to be creative, to produce intricate and unique solutions to various challenges or problems, to produce creative masterpieces that capture beauty and glory, that model the order and the beauty of God's creation all around us. This alone is given as a gift from the Lord. We think of Bezalel, children in, in Exodus, We're told that the Lord had filled them with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning or artistic works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass. God created man as rational, intellectual beings. We're called to use to bring glory to his name. But fifthly, man also knows the difference between right and wrong, was created with a, a moral, as moral beings, the ability to know what was right and what was wrong. Paul tells us that in Romans that the law of God has been written on our hearts, and that would have been true for Adam and Eve before that world, and they, they knew what it was to walk rightly before the Lord. To, to walk in a way that was pleasing to him. Sixthly, humans are relational beings. As God created humanity, we read he created him in his own image in verse 27 of chapter 1 of Genesis. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Inherently connected with being created in God's image, is that the creation is the creation of male and female. And we believe and confess that God is a triune God. And within the Godhead, within the Trinity, there is, there is intimate communion between the three persons of the, of the Trinity. We see the delight that is in between these persons, between the God the Father and Christ and, and the Holy Spirit throughout the Scripture. We're, we're privileged to hear Christ's prayer to His Father, for example, in John 17, where we, we, we see the oneness that they enjoy, the unity. We hear the Father's cry on multiple occasions concerning His Son, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We hear the delight that they had for one another. And so when God created man, he not only created him to have relationship with him, the triune God, 
And we'll consider that a little bit more in a moment. But he also created him as his image bearer to have relationships with other human beings. Intimate relationship with one. A union and commun- to have union and communion with other fellow human beings. So he created male and female. And as God says in Genesis 2, it's not good that man should be alone. And all of these in their totality as a whole, along with this next category that we're going to speak of, demonstrate something of who God is, both in man's physicality, but also in his spirituality. But more narrowly, in the, in the second sense, the second aspect of the image of God that's interconnected, yes, we have the moral image of God, the restrict, uh, more restricted sense. Man, we, we say, was created in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And Colossians 3.10 speak, draw our attention to being created in true knowledge, and then being that being restored in in the children of God, Ephesians four twenty four draw our attention to the fact that was, we were created in true righteousness and holiness as well. And these these three aspects of God's image that they granted human beings the ability and the capacity to have an intimate relationship with their Creator. This intimate relationship with the Lord is expressed in, in the terms of the characteristics of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. It is here that the brightness of God's image truly shines forth in, in man, and wi- man, woman, a boy, or a girl. Adam and Eve had an intimate knowledge of God and his ways. They knew him. It wasn't just they knew about him. Children, you can know about someone or something, but it's something else to know someone, to be able to commune with them, to to dialogue with them, to interact with them, to understand what makes them, what makes them, what brings joy to them, what saddens them. Adam and Eve knew the Lord. They knew what pleased him. They knew what would displease him. They knew what he, what brought, would bring him glory and what wouldn't. And in knowing him, they could enjoy him and live for him with desire and delight. But they were also completely righteous. There was no sin. They lived upright lives, enabling them to walk in a, in a right relationship with God. They could keep with, with delight and, and incredible joy the commandments of the Lord. But they are also created in holiness or with all purity so that with their entire beings they were able they were able, they were willing, 
they were desirous to live wholeheartedly to the Lord their God in accord with his perfect will. They knew the Lord. They, they had an intimate union and communion with him. They walked rightly in his sight, keeping his commandments with joy and delight. They, they, they lived willingly and desirously according to his perfect will. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because this is something we don't see in our, in our day-to-day life interactions, if we know our own heart. But this is how God created man. And he did so for a purpose. It was a three, at least a threefold purpose, and I want to highlight two, or three parts to that purpose. He created man in his image so that, in the first place, he would be extolled and praised. That God would receive all the honor and the glory through his image bearer. But second, he created man in his image so that his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, could become a man. God created humanity with a body and soul in his image so that one day in time his beloved son could make could himself become like us so that we could have a redeemer who was most suitable Herman Boving put it this way God could not have been able to become man if he had not first made man in his own image. It is in Jesus, the God-man, that we get an incredible insight into what it means for us to be created in the image of God. As Jesus lived here on earth, he was a real human being, body and soul. He lived perfectly. He knew his father intimately. He communed with his father. He loved his father. He lived for his father. His will was purposed to, in accord with the father's will for him. He was the image bearer par excellence. And he said to one of his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. He was what what we should have been. He was immortal. He was rational. He was intellectual, a moral, relational being. We see him live life with this intimate knowledge of his Father, walking in perfect righteousness, with absolute purity, doing the will of his Father. And he did this so that humans like us, fallen humans, could know him. Which is still possible. And is still one of the purposes for which he created 
God created man in his image so that boys and girls, men and women, people like us in the 21st century can rightly, as the Catechism says, rightly know God his creator, heartily love him and live for him and with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with this one, this God, through the image bearer par excellence? Well, it's possible to know him even though we don't understand, we don't, can't comprehend in any reality what it was like to live in a world that was perfect prior to the fall. Now, our experiences as human beings living in the 21st century is this is not who we are. As, as was described, something has changed. And the question is, what happened? And children, I think you know the answer. You've studied and heard it um, many times. How, in, as we read in Genesis 3, how we fell, are grateful, where our first parents, Adam and Eve, willfully decided to listen to the lies of Satan, despite being created in the image of God, despite having that intimate knowledge of God and His ways, despite being created upright and pure. And in their disobedience and and fall, our nature, says the Catechism, has become so corrupt that we are all now conceived and born in sin. And in their sin, immediately, there were consequences, just as God had said, especially in relation to what it meant for humans to be his image bearer. The clarity of the image of God was gone. The broader natural image obscured. The moral image of God lost. We are still deeply spiritual beings. We have never dying souls. Man is seeking for meaning and purpose in life, but we do so in all the wrong places now. Man is still immortal. Oh yes, we die, but yet we were created to live and we desire to live. We see this when death confronts us. People do not want to die. Our soul continues to live. We'll live forever. Yes, our bodies will die. We'll go into the grave. But there will be a day where they will be raised again and united with our souls, the believers to everlasting life, forever bearing the image of God in Christ's likeness. The unbeliever to everlasting death. Man continues to still be a rational being, but our reason, our will, our desires skewed to serve ourselves 
Man is still an intellectual, creative being, but learning has become challenging and difficult. Our knowledge so often darkened. Our creativity and application of what we know and how we use it so often used to promote that which is not to God's glory. We are still moral beings. Our consciences continue to inform us of right and wrong, but we can ignore, have. We can still be morally repulsed at horrific atrocities of individuals or societies. And other times we're not. We think of our nation as a whole okay with killing millions and millions and millions of children in the womb. And at the same time, we read and hear of those decrying a nation, uh, uh, crying against a nation, opposed to a nation that seeks to bring justice to a horrible atrocity brought against them. Man is still a relational being. But how often are we not perverting this? What God once said was good. As a society, we've brought confusion to human sexuality. From being created in the image of God, male and female, to now saying there's gender choice and diversity, which is to be accepted as a human right and honored and celebrated as good. We've desecrated marriage, the beautiful institution where God says two should become one. By breaking it or by establishing relationships that are beyond the bounds that God has given for marriage. Oh, how we've maligned and obscured God's image Yet in his mercy, he leaves remnants or reminders of this natural aspect of what it means to be created in his image. We can see. We can see him giving the gifts of rationality and intellectual and uh, people who strive for justice so often incorporated, yes, with being restored in God's image. But there's a token of his common grace still that these parts of this are not completely lost. But we have in our fall completely lost true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. This was absolutely evident in Adam and Eve's fall, as they partook of that fruit. We read in Genesis 3, verse 7, their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves aprons, and they heard the, and, and when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of, in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. What once was an intimate relationship with their Creator, with the Lord, 
standing upright before him in all purity and holiness. How broken, absolutely broken. They stood guilty. They stood ashamed, naked, exposed before the Lord. They were no longer upright. They were no longer pure in his sight. They were guilty. And instead of desiring to come into his presence to commune with him, they covered themselves with fig leaves, and then they attempted to hide themselves from his presence as, as he called out to them, Adam, where are you? Sometimes, children, maybe we experience this a little bit um, with your parents. Maybe you've done something, you, you have a good relationship with them, but yet then you, you sinned and you did, you were disobedient and you know it. And it's hindered your relationship. You, you try to avoid them because you don't want to be confronted with what you've done for fear of being found out. And there's this guilt and there's the shame and you, the, the relationship's broken. This is something of what Adam and Eve experienced and we in them. We don't know God anymore as our, as our God. We don't heartily love him. We don't live for him. We don't glorify and praise him. We've become lost and in a desperate need of restoration. But this is the wonder of the gospel. That Jesus Christ became a man in God, body and soul, the image par excellence, so that there would be a way for sinners like you and I, you and me, to be restored completely. And Paul speaks of this possibility of the restoration of the image of God in the believer. We read one out of Colossians 3.10 says, this new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then in Ephesians 4.24, and we're called to put on the new man, the new man which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. There is a possibility of restoration. There's a possibility of being created again, recreated again in the image of God and it's only because God, the, God, the triune God, purposed from all eternity to save sinners out of mere sovereign grace and mercy. And then not only purposed, but then carried out this purpose by sending His beloved Son into the world to take on human flesh, to become a real man with a body and soul, a real man made in the image of God to live and be what we could not be. To be one who intimately knew his Father, who wholeheartedly loved God and lived for him, who had complete knowledge and perfect righteousness and lived with all purity and holiness, doing the will of his Father, even to the point of death 
as he willingly took on himself the sins of his people. So like sinners like you and me could be restored, can be restored, can be renewed in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. So that we once more can rightly know and have an intimate relationship with the Lord. So that we can heartily love him. So that we can live for Him in, in eternal happiness and with Him. So that we can glorify and praise Him. And this, and you can know Him. And He calls you to come to Him, repenting of our sins, confessing that we've made an absolute mess of things in, in our life. And then believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation alone. And then to live for Him out of gratitude for what He has done for sinners like us. And in believing in Christ, God restores in a fallen sinner like us His image. We have true knowledge again, righteousness, a holiness, a purity, a desire to live for him. Oh yes, we still battle with the old man. But friend, there's also coming a day, if you know Christ Jesus, where the image of God will be restored in its full beauty and glory when we see him face to face one day, where there will be no hindrances, where there will be no obscuring of his image in us, where we will praise him and glorify him forever and ever. Friend, have you come to know him? Have you been restored? Do you, do you love the Lord? Do you wholeheartedly long to serve Him, to glorify Him, to praise Him? If you don't, you're missing out. You're missing out on the very point for why you are here on earth. And friend, Whatever you attempt, whatever you try to do to fill that God-sized hole in your life is going to leave you empty and your life meaningless. And he calls you to come to him, to find rest in him, to find happiness, true happiness in him alone. And if you have, if you have been restored... He calls you to live for him. He calls you to praise his glorious name because he is absolutely worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to restore such sinners like we are. Amen. Lord, we have but stammered just 
a few words of what it meant and what it means to have been created in thy image and how, how far we have fallen. Lord, we are encouraged, comforted by the fact that there is the possibility of restoration so that sinners like us can find and can be restored into a relationship with the triune God so that we can know Thee, Lord, so that we can love Thee, live for Thee. May we do that. And if we have not been restored, may we see how empty our lives are. And may it drive us to the one that we can look to. And in looking to him, we can see God. We can see the Father. Where Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Lord, help us this week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Before we sing from Psalter 54, I just want to say a few words to Luis and Karen. Luis, I believe uh, Karen's not here this evening, so do give our regards to, to her. You'll be leaving us for some time as you head to Tilsonburg, Ontario, Canada, to take up an internship there and then off to Colombia after that to work through some visa issues. Brother, it's our, it's our prayer that as you leave us, that you would, um, that the Lord would richly bless you and use you in my hometown, um, back in Tilsonburg. May, may you be, may your time under, under the tutelage of Pastor McLeod and in and among the flock in Tilsonburg be very formative for you. And may you be used there for the building up of God's people and for the extension of his kingdom as bringing souls in to the kingdom. May God receive all the glory and the honor. We trust that you will be warmly welcomed in Tilsonburg and enjoy, enjoy time with our families, Jess and my families as well as you, as you are there and give our greetings to the flock there. And then as you head back to Columbia, we pray that the uh, renewal of your visas will go very well. Uh, there will be no complications, and God willing, we hope to see you here in Grand Rapids sometime later this year. We trust that through all of this, that you will know and experience the, that the Lord is a very good shepherd, that he leads and that he guides and we trust that he will be leading you into green pastures and beside still waters. And that he not only restores your soul, but through you restores the souls of, of many. And in the times of uncertainty that you may face, know that he is, a, he is present with his people. Guiding, leading, comforting with his rod and his staff. So as we sing this Psalter, 
Um, Psalter 54, the Lord Jesus, our shepherd. We particularly will be praying for you uh, at this time as well. The Lord be with you, brother, and, and your wife and your children. Let's sing from Psalter 54, Jesus, our shepherd. <laughs> 